Well, good evening, LCM. Tonight is Thursday, July 21st, 2022, and tonight we're going to celebrate, we're going to be thankful and grateful because of the evidence of God's gracious hand that is upon us. Can somebody say hallelujah? Hallelujah! God is shaping and forming and making us into a body of believers that are worthy men and women of God. See, when your pastors look around this room, we are able to see that you are men with really rough hands, with callous knees, with tender hearts, and lion-like tenacity for the things of God, and we love that about you. We see a church family who gives all, who holds nothing in reserve. We see men and women who repent with deeds and not just their teardrops. We see action-based shalom makers. We see covenant keepers in this house. The body of Christ that is becoming like Christ, our king and our ruler of all that there is. You guys want to know what God is doing in our midst? He is making something special from the men of LCM. God is making men who know how to be real men. Warriors who know what they are fighting for. Officers that lead with integrity and courage. Valiant men that love the pressure and the success of becoming like the patriarchs and prophets that we study. One particular man we love and admire is a man named Jeremiah. A man who was called, a man who was chosen by God to be the Lord's mouth to Israel. One who had many qualities we want ourselves. And yet had the same flaws that we do as well. So let's reflect on an important message we covered last Sunday regarding this man, Jeremiah. And everybody turn to Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 19. Come on, somebody say there as you are turning to Jeremiah 15, 19. This is what the passage says. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. If you repent, I will restore you that you may serve me. See, as we're getting into this verse, you know that Jeremiah has just revealed his true heart. He had certain expectations that he would receive from serving God, and he's finding out that things aren't the way that he thought that they might be. And so he's voiced dissatisfaction unto the Lord. And as a result of that, he is being rebuked for deviating from the fundamentals. And he's got to learn how to, first of all, somebody say, first of all. He's got to learn how to repent in his actions for what is going on on the inside of him. Jeremiah was rebuked for altering the word that God put in his mouth. He was uh, softening it with sympathy. He was patting it with his own compassion because he was actually not confident in what the word of the Lord alone would produce. And you know what that meant? It meant that he had to repent. Man, can't y'all understand a little bit about Jeremiah and what's going on in his life? See, Jeremiah was rebuked for compromising when what he needed to do was be courageous and actually step forward in what God had told him. And because of it, he had to repent. This is an amazing thing. Jeremiah had worthless speech that came from a faithless heart. Hey, church, you know how it is in our own hearts where we just want to say, I I just didn't say that right. Uh, You just didn't understand me, Pastor. It must be that your understanding wasn't right. Uh, Give me a chance to say it again. The issue wasn't how Jeremiah said what he said. The issue was that Jeremiah said what he said, and it reflected the truth that was coming from his heart. It reflected what he really thought about what was going on. It misrepresented God's character. It misrepresented God's name in God's body of work. Um, 
hey, in the past week or two, can anybody relate to what Jeremiah is going through? Yeah. <laughs> in case you can't see it on the camera, a lot of people are smiling and going, yeah, that's really been me in the past few days. But what is the promise that happens once we repent in our actions? It's right here on the screen. The Bible says you get to be restored when you become a professional repenter. I mean, really good. You're not having a good week if you didn't have to repent. You're having a great week when you get a lot of opportunities to repent and show it in your actions. When we turn in our actions back to what God has said, God turns to us. He actually turns to us and allows us to serve him. And the way that this verse says it in the Hebrew is that we get to serve him face to face. He is allowing a closeness that doesn't happen unless you repent. And thank God we're in a church that is learning how to repent, to repent often, to repent well, and to repent in our actions. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Like a boss. Yeah, that is true. This church repents like a boss. You know what was clear when we studied Jeremiah 15, 19? Not only is God calling him to repent and the promise that he will restore him, God then lays out a very clear direction of what he needed to repent from and then repent to. The verse continues in the NIV, if you utter worthy, not worthless words, you will be my spokesman. Let this people turn to you, but you must not turn to them. What God is laying out very clearly is that, hey, this is what you have been doing, but also this is what you need to do. And by doing so, he's showing Jeremiah how to be a worthy spokesman that is speaking worthy words, effectual words. Our God is helping us purify our speech. This is exactly what he's saying to us. Purifying it of vile contaminants that corrupt the outcome that God desires. You guys remember from Sunday when we showed you in the NASB and LXX, the statement in the NIV says worthy and not worthless words. In the NASB and LXX says extracting the precious from the vile. Man, this is what God is doing in all of our hearts. He's showing us how to extract his precious words from the ones that we mix in with it. God's aim is something. God's aim is that having only his words in your mouth, his will is then fully accomplished through you. Look, we're, we're all aiming to wanting to complete the full will of God. And our God is faithful to show us exactly how we do it. And it starts by the repentance that happens in us and repenting unto what he wants us to. God wants our speech to be effectual, just as he determined, but not as we have determined in and of ourselves. We're hearing the word of the Lord spoken to Jeremiah. It is speaking to us. It's calling us to his standard of speech that does not lessen or omit the truth, but it rightly represents him while letting the weight of God's truth rest on the hearts of the hearers. Standing confidently within that tension, knowing that you have turned to God, and now you are looking for them to turn to where you're at. He's telling them, let this people turn to you, but you must not turn to them. You must not compromise the standard by which I've laid down and you are now standing upon. Look, something happens when you repented. When you repented, when you turn to God, you then have confidence. Confidence to look at those that need to turn in repentance, just as you have, and demand that your hearers turn to you because you are now standing with God and you are confident that so should they. 
Church, Jeremiah is a man like us. Say that with me. Jeremiah is a man like me. See, what is happening here is uh, he has a need to stop uttering worthless words and to begin to utter worthy words, not to turn to those who should be turning to him. He has to repent in his actions. This is exactly what's been going on in our hearts and in this church. God is showing us and we're becoming proficient at saying, no, that's me. I must repent and I must do it now and do it in my actions. This is what Jeremiah did. He repented in his actions. He had to be restored in order to serve rightly. Can somebody say amen? Can you relate to that tonight? Yeah. See, you should be thinking about things that have gone on even in the last few days because we know you. We're your pastors. We've been talking to you, haven't we? Yeah, see, we know that this is exactly what's going on in this house. Jeremiah had to utter worthy words and learn to never turn to those that he was in charge of leading. In the next verse, in verse 20, we're going to find something that is a key to understanding what God is doing here in this house, in your life, and in my life as well. Look at Jeremiah 15, 20. I will make you a wall to this people, a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you to rescue you and to save you, declares the Lord. Hey, just in case you were wondering, Jeremiah was not dropped out of the sky like in a fully formed kind of fashion. He didn't just appear on the scene as some superhero that just dropped down from the sky. He had to be made into what he became. You are seeing it from chapter one. I'm too young. I can't say it. Don't you say that. Repent and say everything that I'm telling you. In, in John, uh, Jeremiah 15, he's saying, yeah, I'm saying the wrong things. And God is in the process of making Jeremiah into who he needs to be. At least this is a perfect representation of what he's doing in us as well. God declares to Jeremiah the first few words of this verse. I will make you not going to ask him. He's not going to have to try and get his permission. God is just telling Jeremiah, I am going to make you into what you're supposed to be. I am going to make you into a fortified wall of bronze. Jeremiah is a man like us. He had to be formed. We don't just drop out of the sky fully formed. Can somebody say amen to that? Isn't that where you and I get discouraged as we, we know that and we'll say it, but we actually expect to just kind of show up and be like, you know, I'm now fully formed in Christ. That's not how it happens, my friends. God is making us into the men that we must be. God's rebuking and correcting and training and teaching us because he is making us into what we will be. He is making us into a man like Jeremiah. Exactly what he did with Jeremiah is what he will do in us. God is making a declaration of a promise that if we turn to him, if we devote ourselves to his word and act upon it, he then makes the promise, I will make you. How important is that that God is saying this to Jeremiah and he's also saying it to the men and the women in this room. I will make you. He is able to make you into exactly what he desires. And that's what he's doing in this house. Which leads us to the title of tonight's message. The title of tonight's message is, I will make you. Say that with me. I will make you. That statement is a promise. And that promise is designed to give you hope that once you have re repented, 
when you're being restored, when you're acting righteously in that repentance, God's promise is, I will make you. In fact, God's promise to Jeremiah is that he would make him, to this people, a fortified wall of bronze. I mean, think about that, a wall of bronze and fortified. This is an immovable standard of God's judgment that could not be refuted. It could not be contested or toppled. The fact is there will always be those who fight against this kind of man who has become immovable, but they will not overcome. They will not overcome because God has declared to be with us to rescue us and save us. He has declared to make his name, his standard, his principles firm, and nothing can topple or challenge the standard of heaven. So there is hope for you tonight. Church, I said there is hope for you tonight. Because God will do the same inside of you. And in that, we have a clear scriptural evidence that he did it for Jeremiah. So therefore, we can take confidence that he will also do it for us. Everybody turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 26. And we're going to pick up in verse 1. Say, I will make you as you turn. Jeremiah 26.1. Early in the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Stand in the courtyard of the Lord's house and speak to all the people of the towns of Judah who come to worship in the house of the Lord. Tell them everything I command you. Do not omit a word. Do not omit a word. Perhaps they will listen and each will turn from his evil way. Then I will relent and not bring on them the disaster I was planning because of the evil they have done. Say to them, this is what the Lord says. If you do not listen to me and follow my law, which I set before you, and if you do not listen to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I have sent to you again and again, though you have not listened, then I will make this house like Shiloh and this city an object of cursing among all the nations. The priest, the prophets, and all the people heard Jeremiah speak these words in the house of the Lord. But as soon as Jeremiah finished telling all the people everything the Lord had commanded him to say, the priest, the prophets, and all the people seized him and said, you must die. The immediate effect of this man, Jeremiah, Standing up, walking in actionable repentance, having that connection, that face-to-face -face with God and restoration, it is here God is making him into a fortified wall of bronze. And he is standing up to the very taunt of death because he said exactly what the Lord told him to say. Now, this is so good, and this is so helpful for us. See, just as God said that these men are fighting against him, immediately, this is what God already said, I'm going to make you into a fortified bronze wall. They're going to fight against you, but they will not overcome you. In the verses that follow, you find out that Jeremiah, he doesn't recant. He doesn't pull back. He doesn't soften what he said. What he does is rather he more than doubles down because of his devotion, because of his repentance that are seen in his actions. And the Lord has made him into an immovable wall just like God said that he would make Jeremiah into. He doesn't plead for mercy from the people. He completely entrusts himself to the Lord 
until death and fully relies on God's word that said that the Lord would be with him to rescue and to save him. And God did it. Jeremiah's words turned the heart of the people to God's standard and caused the fear of the Lord's judgment on them if they did. Church, do you want to be a man like Jeremiah? Come on now. Do you want to really be a man like Jeremiah? Well, good. Then you have to do exactly what he did. You got to repent and be as devoted to God's word as Jeremiah was. This is an awesome path for us. It is then that God will make you into this kind of man. When you see that he did it once with somebody like Jeremiah, it's supposed to let you know, wait a minute, I think he can do it again. As a matter of fact, I know he can do it again. And what God's encouraging the men and the women in this room, he won't only do it for Jeremiah, but he'll do it with you too. God will make you what you are supposed to be, and he'll do it right here in this house. And when we see the clear evidence in the word that God did it for Jeremiah, he made him into that fortified wall of bronze. God also did the same kind of working in a man like Ezra. So everybody turn to Ezra chapter 7 and say, I will make you. We will pick up in verse 6. This Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher, well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. The king had granted him everything he asked, for the hand of the Lord, his God, was on him. This verse begins with a declaration, a declaration of the man's name in such a triumphant and hopeful way. How does it go, Pastor Way? Oh, you got to do it again. Come on, you guys join in with him. He is Ezra! That's exactly what it sounded like. This man of God is declared to have been skilled, and particularly skilled in the word. As you're reading this, you may ask yourself something. Pastor, I know that you said that Jeremiah didn't just drop out of the sky fully formed, but surely, surely this man who is Ezra, surely he did. No. No, not at all. God made Ezra into who he was. But it required something from Ezra. Ezra is well versed in the law of Moses in the way that a writer is skillful in poetry. Let me read this to you. Psalm 45.1. My heart is stirred by a noble theme as I recite my verses for the king. My tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. One who can inscribe word upon word, conveying meaning and concept in the way that God is thinking and wanting it to be displayed. Ezra knew the heart and spirit of, of the Torah, and he was able to implement it in meaningful and lasting ways. Ezra was formed by Adonai and made into the man that we are now reading about. He was well-versed or skilled in his work with the Torah in the same way that distinguishes servants before kings. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine says, do you see a man skilled in his work? He will serve before kings. He will not serve before obscure men. When you are a skilled man like Ezra, you have the honor of participating in royalty. 
participating in such a way that gives God honor and glory, that your voice can affect nations. But it starts with one life, then one family before that. The hand of the Lord was on this Ezra because God made him into what he became. He became a priest and a teacher, a worthy mediator between God and man, and a man whose life was worthy to be attached to because his teachings weren't seen I mean, we're seen in his deeds and not just in his creed. I want to say tonight, church, God will do the same for you. Let your hope rise. Let your thankfulness rise. Let your expectation rise that if he did it for these men who put their heart and soul in seeking after the living God through his word, surely he will do the same for the men and women in this room. God will make you into what you must be. Would you like to see how God made Ezra into who he was? Step by step? All right. As we turn to verse 10 of Ezra 7, I want to address you just for a second. I want to talk to you as one of your pastors. Has anybody been dealing with difficulty in the last seven days about whether you're worthy to make contributions to your team? About you can do what God has actually called you to be able to do? Yeah, the reason that we're telling you that Jeremiah didn't just drop out of the sky in a ready-baked kind of format, neither did Ezra just fall out of the sky with everything that he had and that he needed. God made these men. That feeling that you've been having that I'm not sure that I have enough to give, you know what you're actually saying? You're saying, I don't think God can make me into what I'm supposed to be. You think it's about you, and what you're really saying is, I don't think God can make me. Now, I, now I can see how he could do it with Pastor Matt. I mean, I, I could see how he could take a man like Elder Charlie and make him into something. But I'm just not sure that me. You, you feeling what I'm saying, Assad? Are you, understand, are you guys understanding what I'm saying? And Rick, do you understand what I'm saying? That feeling that I just can't do what I'm supposed to do. That is not us doubting ourselves. That's us not understanding that God has said, I will make you into what you're supposed to be. He's going to make you and me in the same way that he made a Jeremiah and an Ezra. And praise God, he's given us his word so we can know exactly how it's going to do. Pastor, you know what the Lord's really doing inside of me? He's pointing this out, the hope that I will make you. But what I'm also finding out is the source of my frustration in the process. I'm frustrated that, frustrated that I can't make me. I can't make me into what I think God is making me into. And praise God that he is highlighting every attempt of my own strength to try and form me into what God only can form me into. Woo. Take a look at Ezra 7.10 to see exactly how God formed a man like Ezra. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and law in Israel. See, Ezra's life lays down the foundation of, what, of how we repent from worthless words and begin speaking worthy words. He dedicated his heart. He had a devotion to studying the word of God. That's where this all begins. It starts with a devotion, an immovable fixed kind of commitment, a settling of the heart, a setting of the heart that does not deviate or alter the course of action. Look at this phrase that he studied. He devoted himself to the study of the law. And if you're reading from the ESV, you see that it says that he had his heart set on study of the law, of the Torah. Devotion to the study of the law meant that Ezra kept digging. Somebody say, keep digging. Keep digging. 
it's not about just a quiet time in the morning. It is about a pursuit of what God has. It's an inquiring. It's an asking. It's a seeking for the depth and understanding of God's full counsel that is found in his word. See, Ezra didn't give up when it was too difficult to understand. He didn't stop after he found a a revelation and just move on his happy way. He did not defer his pursuit to someone else to discover something for him and bring it to him. Come on, tell me what I'm supposed to think. No, he had his heart set towards the devotion of studying God's word. As I was thinking about this, I was reminded of Psalm 63, verse 1. Psalm 63, 1, you can stay there in Ezra, but just listen to this. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and a parched land where there is no water. Church, this is the kind of study that we are talking about, is having such a longing to be in God's presence, to have a longing to know what he is saying, what he has already said, and what he will do that's longing. David writes this psalm in Psalm 63 as a man who was out in the desert in Judea. He was writing it in the desert and talking about, my whole body longs for you, Lord. I'm earnestly seeking you that there's a passion, that there is a devotion. Somebody say devotion. Devotion. I got to be perfectly honest with you. The Lord in the last few days has been speaking to me about my devotion for him. Are you saying you don't? Of course I read the word every day. But I want to be close to him. I'm not reading it so I can check it off of a list. I want to be close to him. I want to know what he thinks. I want to know what he has to say to me. I want to know what he has to say to you. I'm just trying to find out and get closer. I want to be closer to him. And that desire is driving me towards him. It's driving me to a study of the word that is more than an academic pursuit. I have set my heart towards this. I just didn't set my mind towards him. I set my heart to the study of the word. And that's what God is reviving. Church, this is what he's reviving in me. God, I want to be closer to you. I want to know what you say. I don't want to offer my own thought before I've thought about 10 things that you think about. I want to know what you think. See, and as a matter of fact, Ezra even penned the words of Psalm 119. In the verses 1 through 3, it says... And we see the kind of devotion that Ezra gave. Psalm 119 verse 1 says, Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. You can't walk according to it unless you've been devoted to the study of it. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do no wrong but follow his ways. Church, this constant devotion to studying the word of God made certain that Ezra constantly knew what God demanded of him to actually do. And this is something that God is reviving in us as well. He knew what to do because of that constant devotion. And as listed in 710, he devoted himself to the study of the law and to observe it. Another way to say that is that to do it, to actually put it into practice. He wasn't content to study alone. Or to just seeking alone. He was fully committed in obedience to the things that he learned. By having obedience to what you then have sought, inquired, searched after. That will ensure that Adonai's hand is on any man that then begins to put it into practice. 
We're not just storing up knowledge. We are seeking direction of what we are to do. Ezra knew that his devotion to studying was incomplete unless it was matched by his devotion to do everything that was written in the law. His constant devotion to study the law then gave him the direction. It gave him boundaries that would guide his every action in his speech and in his deed. Would you ever imagine that Ezra would be the kind of guy that is sitting in a group and there's a problem being discussed and he's just going to hang back and wait until everybody gives their answers and kind of measure what he's going to do next? No, not at all. But because he had had such a deep relationship with God's word and thereby with God, he was attuned to the voice and the direction of God before that conversation ever began. He was given direction ahead of time, and thereby he was able to recognize exactly what he was supposed to do for every moment that God put him in. He was ready to act. Psalm 119, verse 80. May I wholeheartedly follow your decrees that I may not be put to shame. Man, that wholehearted devotion to do what the word says, it guarantees that you will not be put to shame. It will guide your every direction. Men like Ezra displayed devotion through the complete actionable obedience to God's word, just as we saw Jeremiah did in chapter 26. These men didn't just drop out of the sky. God made them into what is displayed in these passages. And God will make you into what must be and has he designed. And will display the same devotion to complete obedience, just as he, these men did. So everybody say, God is making me. God is making me. We want you to get this ingrained in your soul. That there is a hope to be found. When that declaration is made in Jeremiah, and just like we're covering each one of these men, it's his promise that I will make you. And it's a result of being devoted to the study of his word and to doing it. Did you guys catch that? That Ezra was devoted both to the study of the word and the doing of the word. He was also devoted to this third item that it says about devoted to teaching its decrees and laws. See, the, teach, the word for teaching there is lamed. It's, a, it's an understanding in the Hebrew thought of a, of a yoke or to having a, being attached to a way of life. The things that were invested in Ezra were in turn invested into the entirety of Israel. Ezra's life of devotion to have his heart derash or seek the law of the Lord. Ezra's life of devotion to do everything that God instructed him to do. It made him into a man whose life was worthy of being attached to, worthy to learn from and acquire instruction from. Yeah. Do you know what I find in my own life? I find that I want to go from a devotion to studying the word to a devotion to teaching the word. Mm. Oh, it's just me then. Okay. So I want to skip the phase of where I have to do it. Hey, guess what? I found this great jewel. I found this really neat thing. Let me tell everybody what I just learned. Let me go straight to the teaching to show you what I learned. Ezra was not that kind of man. Ezra had devotion to study. He had devotion to doing the word, and because he was devoted to a lifestyle of doing the word, he was then able to be devoted to teaching the word from the experience, from the expertise. You might even call him a sage in some of these things that he had actually worked on over the course of a lifetime. Amen. 
Is anybody like me and you would do better if you quit skipping the middle step of what made Ezra that kind of man? Yes. I have a microphone in my hand. I am telling you, I would do better to skip the way that I've been doing and walk through each step correctly. Study. Then get really good at doing it. Maybe on and just be working on it in private and trust that God will be able to show it in public. And when that's right, my life would be worthy to attaching you to. And I could say, hey, Bonnie, come on and do this with me. I know how to do it. You become a man like me because I have become a man like Ezra. We can walk through this together because I know how God makes you into a real man. He walks you through the same process that he did with Ezra. Not just for a day. Not just for a week. All right. I'm just going to talk to you again. Is anybody like me and you're good at doing things for three days, five days? I am a really good person to start something. I can start a diet like a boss. What to say? Until the next potluck. I could start a workout routine like an absolute champ. The whole problem is continuing on in that. See, we're not asking you to try to start something. We want you to have a lifestyle that is indicative of doing this over and over again. That's actual devotion. Yeah. Ezra was wholeheartedly devoted to each of these truths. Not the one that he liked, not the one that he got credit for or praise from other people about. He was devoted to these three in this order and that made him into the man that we get to celebrate as one of the finest examples of believers in the entirety of the word of God. But he didn't just drop out of the sky and neither are you. You're not going to become a man like Ezra by sitting back and resting on your assurance. And you're going to become a man like Ezra to go, I'm going to get devoted. Does anybody like me and want to be more devoted to God than you've ever been? Not just feeling it, but actually doing what God is saying for you to do. And doing it long enough, repetitively enough, that your entire character changes. And other people become attached to you because what you have is real. And they want to be a man like you. Come on now. Amen. Church, I hear God saying something to us. He's saying something to you. He is telling you, I will make you into a man like Jeremiah. I will make you into a man like Ezra. And it requires us to go through the same processes that these men had to go through. Oh, we can't skip any steps. We have to go through these processes. God will demand that we repent and devote ourselves to study so that we will have truly worthy words to utter. God will make us learn to only turn to him because we are fully devoted to doing the very things that he has commanded us. God will make us into men whose lives are worthy being attached to as he makes us into his immovable standard. Come on, everybody say it. God will make me. God will make me. God will make us. God will make us. This is his great glory to take men like us, men like us, to make us just like him. He did it with Jeremiah. He did it with Ezra. And he will do it with you. There's another man that God also did it for. His name is Peter. 
Acts chapter 2 highlights some things that we're very familiar with. And I just want to walk you through them. You all know that Peter, Peter was obviously one of the 12. He was a Hakam Talmud, is a chief disciple. He was sent by Jesus as an apostle. Being sent, he was supposed to utter worthy words. But there was this one moment in his history when he's standing outside the temple and what Jesus prophesied came true. He denied Jesus three times. He uttered worthless words. This is a moment like what we all experience. We're called. We're chosen. We've been close to the teaching and way of life. And we fall right on our face. You know what? That's not where our king left him. It's not where he left him. Why is God saying to us, I will make you? Because he wants to take you from the state that you're in and make you more into who he is. Just like what he did with Peter. He sat down and had a conversation with him. And he restored him. He gave him three charges about how to interact with the sheep. And at the end of that restoration, he said, now go. Strengthen your brothers. Well, what is God telling us? Is that when we are walking in that repentance, we're walking in that restoration, now we have the empowerment to stand up and go strengthen those on our left and our right. God wants to use your words. He wants to use your deeds that are birthed from devotion to bring strength and enablement to this body. Well, God did something more with Peter. After that charge to go strengthen his brothers, oh, we have that marker in history, in church history, where he stood up boldly on the day of Pentecost. And he faced all of the onslaught of opposition against what God was pouring out on his people that day. Pouring out the Spirit with evidence of tongues of fire. And as he spoke up to his fellow Jews and all who lived in Jerusalem, he began to proclaim worthy words. And worthy words that were birthed from a devotion, a love of the study of the law. It was birthed from him actually having experience of putting it into practice again and again and again. And at a drop's notice, he is now able to stand up and declare the righteous, authentic, and accurate words of God so that everyone could be cut to the heart. He was getting to the core issue of what was going on and demanding that they turn to him as he has turned to God. When you're all familiar with it, I'll read it and they'll put it up on the screen. Acts 2 verse 38. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. These worthy words are being pointed right at their condition and demanding a response. And it's with a promise. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We all know what happens. They're baptized. 3,000 are added to their number. And Acts 2.42 makes it clear. These new disciples, what did they do? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. 
They begin to put and practice the very things that they saw in Peter's life, but it's stemming back to what was obviously evident in Ezra's life. Like Jeremiah, God made Peter into a fortified wall of bronze. Acts 4.13 says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That these men had been devoted, devoted to studying the law from the very embodiment of the law, Jesus himself. Verse 14 says, but since they could, could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. Come on, man, when you are devoting yourself to the same three things that Ezra laid out, God will make you into a fortified wall that cannot be argued against, it cannot be refuted, and it cannot be opposed. But you know the best thing I hear in this, this passage, one that we have echoed and championed for years? God's able to take unschooled, ordinary men. <laughs> He's able to take men like me, unschooled, ordinary, or as the Greek would say, the, the Greek words for unschooled is agramatos, meaning without grammar, and the word for, yes, and the word for ordinary, the Greek word for ordinary here is idiotes. Put them together, and you if have you, me. If you put it together, you have, they were from Louisiana. That's what, you like have the me. me that was before, from which God has now made me into more. Well, what? What, what more can we not have to celebrate when we look at what God has done so far in our lives? And in this room, he's taken ordinary, unschooled men and women, and he has made them into mighty and victorious scholars and doers of the word. This church is a church that is filled with competent ministers of the gospel. Men and women who are fearless and boldly proclaim the truth to anybody that stands in front of them. You know what that ensures? That ensures that we will produce generations that will also become fortified walls of bronze. Church, we have no excuse because our God will make you into what you're supposed to be. If you have a royal heritage like, like Ezra did, you still have to be devoted to the study, to the doing and the teaching of the word. If you come from the wrong kind of town like Jeremiah did, you still have to be made into what you're supposed to be. If you are unschooled and ordinary, you still have to be made into what God wants you to be. So you know what that means? We all have to be made into it. We don't just drop out of the sky, but God is able. God will make us into what we will be because he's been saying it to us. Yeah. He's been speaking to us. He's been saying, I will grow you in your capacity. Yeah. I will grow you in your ability. I will make you what I want to make you because I am your God and I'm telling you that I'm going to do it. Yeah. Who are we to think anything different than what God is already saying? He is rousing us. He is, he is shaking us. He is stirring us on the inside and saying, I can do it, Rick. I can make you exactly what I said you were going to be. I can do it in you, Caleb Brown. I know how to do it. You don't know how to make you, but God does, and he will make you be. Yeah. Come on, Jorge. Are you hearing what we're saying, man? You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be schooled. You can even be ordinary. And God knows how to make you be what Amen. you're supposed to be. God, I can feel him. 
I know he's speaking to your heart, Ray. God has got his hand upon you right now to encourage you to cast off despair and say, God himself can make you exactly what he wants you to be. You can be a man like Jeremiah. You can be a man like Ezra. You can be a man like Peter. You can be a man like Stephen who's willing to give your life for this gospel. Talk about a fortified bronze wall, a man who can stand against anyone even if it cost him his life. That's what God is raising in this house. Acts 6, very quickly before we start to close here. Acts 6, I'm going to read it to you, verse 10. It says, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit by which Stephen spoke. He was able to go before a council. He was full of God's power. He was full of God's grace, but he didn't just drop out of the sky that way. He had to be made into a man that could be described these ways, Asad. He didn't just show up this way. He became it because God made him in this. Evidence of Stephen's devotion to the study of the word of what he was doing and a man whose life was being worthy to be attached to is seen in his life because God made him. The opposition could not cope with him. They couldn't deal with him. They didn't know how to refute him because what he was doing was beyond being refuted because he was exactly what God was making him to be. He spoke boldly. Does anyone need to be strengthened in your speaking boldly to those around you? If you didn't raise your hand or say yes, then you're missing something. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6 says, you know what? I pray that I may declare God's truth boldly, fearlessly, as I should. That's the Apostle Paul. See, these men were made into something. God made Stephen into a fortified wall, immovable, that not even death can defeat. And by the way, Stephen's death, even if it requires that you go and you get to have the greatest opportunity to lay your life down. What did that do when Stephen was martyred? It ignited persecution in the church, and it led to the gospel being spread abroad. And oh yeah, that apostle that we call Apostle Paul, Saul was standing there and seeing these things. It changed him in the process of this. See, church, God is making us into something. He will make you into exactly what he desires for you to be. So look, a fundamental that has been a part of who we are since day one. We're not a church who's looking for butts and seats. We have never been on the hunt for those who are wanting to be just casual attenders. We have always been a church who is looking for men who will be like us. Men who will be made into all that God has designed us to be. God has done, is doing, and will continue making us. This should prove to you that he will make you too. When we're we're reading Jeremiah and looking at verse 20, we're seeing that promise. That's a promise for us. That when we devote ourselves in the way that these men have, it, it is a certainty. We'll be made into a man like Jeremiah, devoted to uttering the only Worthy words that are God's words. Devoted to never turning. Fully assured that God will make you into a bronze wall that will stand in the testimony of God's greatness. We're calling you to be made into men like Ezra tonight. 
to devote your heart's study of the word of God, to be devoted in your every action in accordance with God's directives, to be devoted to displaying a life that is worthy example to all. We are calling to the men in this room and we're calling to you to be like Jeremiah. He didn't fall out of the sky and neither did you. Be a man like Ezra. He didn't fall out of the sky and neither did you. Be a man like Eric Stevens. He didn't fall out of the sky like that. He had to go through this process of God making him. God is still making him and he will finish his process. But you can see, see when you start to look around in the men in the room. Oh, well, those were the men in the Bible, Jeremiah and Ezra. So I don't have to do this. No, of course you have to do exactly the same. Why do you think God brought you here? So you could be just like the men in the Bible. And in case that's too big of a jump, he gave you men that you get to see and go, wow, I see that God has worked in Judah Stevens in a special kind of way. I want to be a man like him because if God will do it in him, he'll do it in you too. I think I remember hearing that you're not special. (laughs) Every man in this room I'm calling you, I'm calling you up. I'm calling you to stop with the self-deprecating and the self-despairing thoughts that you can't. You are not insulting yourself, you're insulting my father who is determined to make you into what he wants to make you into. It's not noble for you to think the things you're thinking. It's noble when you go, I will allow my father to make me into the kind of men that I see in the word and the kind of men that I see in this room. Men whose lives can testify even after they have died. Hebrews 11 says this, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he's dead. How can you speak beyond the course of your life? You become a man like I'm talking to you about. You allow God to make you into what you're supposed to be. And that kind of man, you get to testify even after your life is laid down. Even after you enter into true life. Your life can still speak. You want to talk about some worthy words. You want to talk about being devoted to the word. How about you still speak even after you're dead, Nick Rosales? That's what we're offering you. That's what we're calling you to because that is what God wants to make you into this evening. Romans 14, 4 says this. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? And by the way, before you start thinking about just cross judging across the room, you're not your own servant, are you? You're the Lord's servant, aren't you? Who are you to judge the Lord's servant. To their own master, servants stand or fall. <laughs> and they will stand. Amen. LCM, you will stand because the Lord is able to make you stand. Amen. The Lord can make you into what you're supposed to be because that is what he is doing right now in this house. Amen. Do you really believe the Lord will make you stand? Enable you to stand? And stand to your feet now. Romans 15, 13. Put it up on the screen for me, please.
15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is our aim and our goal tonight that just like the prophetic word that was given during worship, we bring God our empty jars. We gather them up. And there is an expectation that God will make us into who he is. And our hearts are to give that overflowing hope that overflows from being in, in his presence. I love that you're on your feet. Can I ask you to take a seat? I've come to dislike closings that are longer than the actual preaching, so we're not going to do that. And I think that these brothers have hit on something that the Spirit wants to say, and I have this service and next service with you. So I want to make sure that when we do this altar call, we've done it right. Did you hear that the Lord will make you? Even in that statement, you can hear that wrong. Like kicking, screaming, dragging, he'll make you. Is that what we're talking about? No. We're talking about the loving hands of a father forming you like a potter forms clay. Jeremiah had to be made into the man that he needed to be, that God called him to be. A bronze wall. He'll give you some bronze wall convictions in here. Most of them will come from the times that you have fooboard it. Yes. It's true. Yep. That's how you learn. Yep. Yep. Not sure all the ways I'm going to do that, but I found one that I will never repeat. I don't think after Jeremiah 15, he spoke careless words anymore. When God grabs you by the ears and gets hold of you, that tends to fix those kind of things. Ezra had to be made into the man that he had to be, skillful. At what point, though, was he skillful? Can I tell you that you're not skillful when you first start trying to become skillful? I remember when Matthew couldn't play Mary Had a Little Lamb. And I was like... Peter had to be made into the man that he had to be. God took his own weakest, most embarrassing things. And he turned them into the, something that would strengthen the brotherhood and their weaknesses. Hallelujah. Stephen had to be made into the man that he had to be. Wise and powerful is what the scripture says about it. Did you hear tonight that the Lord will make you? I'm going to share with you exactly two scriptures. Then we're going to have a spiritual and physical healing moment here. I want to encourage you, I am not rebuking you. Church has been exceptionally kind to the call of God. 
and we owe it to the Lord, so I can't thank you for it. And at the same time, I'm very proud of you. I want to read you Philippians 2.12, which you've heard a billion times, but I want you to hear it in light of what they're saying. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's half the reason that we're called life-changing ministries. You entered into this room because you want to change. And yet in the last couple years, we've been struggling with the devastating truth that we need to change. Like we walked in the room knowing that we want to change, but when we found items that must change, it was depressing to us. And we learned through messages like Eureka that these are beautiful, perfecting moments, didn't we? Are you fearfully... And with trembling, working through the details of your life? Now, I'm asking you, are you? Then you're going to find some crap that doesn't belong there. That's a whole lot better than being ignorant of it, isn't it? I've always emphasized the first part of this verse. Your choices matter. You, you have to work through, you, you, you. Maybe I'm getting old and weak, I don't know, but I'm a grandfather, and I've watched God put a hook in the nose of people's lives and help them in ways that they didn't even know they were being helped. So I'm pretty stuck on the second part. It's verse 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. You can count on God working in you, making you act according to his good purpose. Now, some of you are already zoning out, so I'm, I'm going to ask for all, all of your eyes here. If, if I'm taking the time to do this, it's because it's important, and I'm going to demand that you treat it that way, but I'm not rebuking you. Verse 13 is followed by a number. <laughs> Verse 14, do everything without complaining or arguing. If Jesus had been sitting in the car with you, Jesus was sitting in marriage counseling with you, Jesus was sitting in your couple's conversations, would you be embarrassed at some of the ways that you've complained recently? He said, Lo, I'm with you even unto the end of the age. Would, would he hear you arguing about things that are worthless, faithless words? Look at verse 15. So that... Why do we do everything without complaining or arguing? So that you may become blameless and pure children of God. He will make you. He, he will form you. He will cause you to succeed. Provided that you are thankful for the process. 
and complaining and arguing and making the change that needs to occur in you someone else's fault will keep him from making you. At least temporarily. Have we overcome extraordinary grief and watched God make us into something? Have we overcome extraordinary trials in our families and watched God make us into something? He is entirely faithful to this process. The one thing that slows it down, that keeps it from breaking through, is when we're not grateful for his making of us. Where are you at, Caleb? Somebody called your name earlier. You're up here. Perfect. If you knew what it would take to make you into what God wants, you would already be it. Like Caleb, like me, you don't know the stimuli that you need. You don't know the pressures that need to be put on you. You don't know the time of obscurity and lack of recognition and sometimes out-and-out injustice that you experience. You don't know what it will take to make you. But he does. The one thing that is in your control is to not whine about the process. Husband, not to make it your wife's fault. Wife, not to make it your husband's fault. If your knee hurts, it's because God wants your knee to hurt. Say, no, 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 it's all spiritual warfare. You give the devil way too much credit. If you're struggling through sickness, it's because God knows that it's what's best for you. He could heal you in a second. What if he's building a testimony that is not for others? It'll strengthen you. If you're struggling to have a child, struggling to get married, and you want to complain, just remember it will keep God from making you into what he wants. But if you can stretch out your hands and say, I don't understand, I'm not even going to ask why. I know what I must do. I am thankful for what you are making me into. Oh, then all the power of hell can't stop you. Do you realize Jesus has already said that the faith you possess overcomes the world? He's already said that. Do you realize that he's already said that the gates of hell will not prevail against my church? The outcome is not in question. The only thing that is in question is whether or not you will be a part of it because whether you will let him make you into what he wants. Hebrews 13, 20. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus. If there's ever something to complain about, it would be that your father let you die naked in public for things that you didn't do. That great shepherd of the sheep equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him. I want to tell you it doesn't just, it's not just pleasing to him. He'll do that. It has to become pleasing to you that he is doing it. So I just don't understand. Well, he wouldn't be much of a God if you did understand all of his methods, would he? He's not limited to your prerogatives, to your attitudes. 
he, he's not limited to what you would prefer. You do not get to tell the high priest and the apostle of the faith the best way to make you into what he wants you to be. You've probably only recently begun to grasp some small measure of what he wants to do with you at all. How arrogant would it be to tell him how to make you into it? When we open this altar, I'm asking that you identify those faithless words. Maybe you're very disciplined. There are some amazing men and women in here. Maybe it didn't come out of your mouth. I'm learning that people, don't, they're not all like me. They don't say what they think. They, they think it and feel godly because they didn't say it, but it's still rolling around. In, in there. If you're dissatisfied with some part of your life, if he's just not doing it for you in the way that you want, that has to die at this altar. Has to. So that when you do stand from the altar, you can fully say that you are thankful for the process no matter what. The, maybe your job sucks. Maybe your spouse is disrespectful. Maybe your kids are hard to teach. Maybe you sowed a lot of bad seed and now you just kind of regret it. I, I'm not sure where you're at. I, actually, I know and I could do it for each of you, but I'm trying to talk to all of you. I want to assure you that God is not wasting any of that, though. Through every consequence that you're working through, through every difficulty, He is making you. He's good at it. And if you learn to be thankful for it, then you can rejoice with him in the progress that's being made in you. If you are not thankful for it, then you won't recognize what he's doing for you at all. And life is pretty miserable like that. Okay? The thing that drives us is that the events of our lives have some significance. Well, this is how you see it. We are life-changing ministries. When you can identify something that needs to change and trust that he is changing it, that's a good day in this house. So wherever you are in this room, and you probably should take just a second to think about this. I don't know if yesterday you said some pretty horrible things that never should come out of the mouth of a Christian about their spouse. If you question God's working in your life, why did he make me short? Why did he make me fat? Why did he make me tall? Why did he make my eyes this color? Whatever it was, you should probably consider that you are stopping him from making you into what he wants you to be and that you can turn that around immediately. And you can have the affirmation of heaven and know for certain that what these men said is not true about your neighbors. It's true about you. There's not a problem in this room that he won't fix. And if he hasn't fixed it on your timetable, it's because he's still making something in you you don't understand. Do y'all remember when I went through the kidney thing earlier this year? I don't know how many people prayed for me. Okay? Uh, a bunch. My wife laid next to me in bed, and she's like, we should take you to the emergency room. I'm like, get behind me, devil. 
love, concern. The issue was not stones in my kidneys. It was stones in my heart, and I needed to demonstrate that I trusted my father in situations I didn't understand. And it didn't end as fast as I wanted. And it wasn't as easy as I wanted it to be, which was the point. It pushed me to the limits of what, it pushed me beyond the limits of what I could do. And now I'm really proud of it. And I'm excited, and I don't want to do it again. But I'm also really happy that it happened because I know something about him and myself now that I couldn't have known any other way. I'm not sure what situations are taxing you, okay? Maybe it's that you think your spouse will never change. Maybe it's that you don't feel heard. Maybe it's that you're underappreciated in this body. Maybe it's all kind of things. The Lord will use every one of them to make you into what he wants you to be. I have some experience at this. I've watched men made into things. He will do it. Don't get in his way. So when you come to this altar, it needs to be with a very specific. Those words, not coming out anymore. That attitude dies right here. I'm, I'm declaring war on it. And then when you stand up in faith... Say, Lord, make it so. Make it so. I, I've pledged it. I don't have the ability to do, to do it. We both know that. So I'm asking you. I'm asking for your help right now. Make me the man you want me to be. You know, that's exactly how I got saved. Nothing's changed in 30 years. That is exactly how I got saved. I went through the list of horrible things that were in me that I had no power to change. And then said, change me. And he has not stopped yet. Nor has the discovery of horrible things inside of me stopped. But I think we can all agree I'm not the brawling, stupid teenager that I once was. He will make you into the man that you need to be. You've got a confidence problem? He will make you into the man that you need to be. Feel the need to prove yourself to men? He'll make you into the... But you need to identify it and be thankful for it. Okay? So we're not going to cry up here all day long. That won't do anything. We're going to identify personally on a personal level what is not going to be a part of your life. And then when you stand to feet, your feet in worship, right after you've identified it, he will make it so because you're his child and you've asked in earnest. It won't go away immediately. But you'll make a significant step, and you'll remember it, and it will help you every day. Is that fair? Okay. Maybe it's not emotional. Maybe we don't have enough synthesizer or something. But I didn't have any of that the night he first did it for me. He'll make us. You're as fully committed as anybody I've ever seen. Now we need to get committed to the actual inward work. Nobody should have to point out to you the areas you suck in. You should already know that. And by identifying him, he will raise you up. He will make you into something amazing. Father, I'm asking that here and now in this church, that you would help us. We are yours. We are your bunch of ugly ducklings. But Lord, I know what you are making us into, and it's beautiful. 
Lord, as we die in this moment to ungratefulness, as we die in this moment to those cute little Christian phrases like uncertainty that are a mask for our faithlessness, as we die to it right here, Lord, as every man and woman is identifying it, help them put their finger on it so that we might stand up into what you are making us in. Grab us by the shoulders, Lord. Help us rise into it. Lord, put your finger on us and inscribe the new identity into us. Lift us from the mud and mire. We are poor and we are crying out to you. And we know, mighty one, that it is your desire to do it in us. And we are thankful for it. You are great. And Lord, you can stoop down and grab us and raise us up into your greatness. We are at your mercy and glad to be so. But we will no longer argue, no longer complain. We embrace what you're doing here.